Thank you for tuning in to Black Family Table Talk, a voice for black families. We are your hosts, Tony and Tony. Today's episode is brought to you by ABTF Travels. In 2019, Tony and I traveled to the motherland to experience the year of return. We were so moved by the experience that I decided to go back and immerse myself in the culture for 52 days in Ghana. It was the adventure of a lifetime. Now we're hosting a delegation of artists and art enthusiasts for an epic pilgrimage. Please visit blackfamilytabletalk.com on our products page for details. We hope you can join us. Now we hope you enjoy season three and this week's episode of Black Family Table Talk. So you attended PWI, a predominantly white institution. Why did you attend a PWI? In one of the past podcasts, if you want to check it out, it's titled Becoming Tony. When I attended high school, predominantly black high school in the city of Newark, New Jersey, all I knew was HBCUs. My guidance counselor provided information about colleges and universities that previous classmates that graduated prior to I, I graduating from high school attended. And I had close relationships through athletics and in high school with upperclassmen who attended HBCUs. Winston-Salem was one. Norfolk State was another. Howard University, Morgan State. So I knew upperclassmen that graduated prior to me graduating that attended HBCUs. And I applied to HBCU, Winston-Salem and Norfolk State, got accepted to both, and was planning to go to Norfolk State. But circumstances in my family dynamics changed. One of the things was I attended, um, well, not attended, I joined the Air Force Reserves, and not knowing, you know, much about college and didn't have that foundation and making a decision about where to attend college that was kind of left up to me. So after joining the Air Force and not knowing the timetable and then having a death in the family, I didn't go get a chance to go to the school I originally wanted to go to, which was Norfolk State. I ended up going to a predominantly white institution, but it was a state college in New Jersey called Montclair State College. That's how I ended up there working relationships with teachers after I missed the opportunity to attend Norfolk State. So it wasn't a conscious decision. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a fallback plan after my original plan didn't work out. And I leaned on teachers for support, my networking support system I had at the high school and made the decision to go to Montclair State. That's how I got there. So it wasn't a conscious decision. But there's an all, always no age discussion about what school we should attend, HBCU or PWI. And raising our children, you know, we always said you go to school where you can afford to go to. So it's it's a different dynamic now. When we were attending college, wasn't for, for me anyway. I speak for myself. My mother attended a county college, but she wasn't at the level where she can direct me on my educational decisions. It was pretty much left up to me. 
if I went to college and or not. And your guidance counselors helped. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was pretty much how it worked out for me. Well, my experience was totally opposite. And it's funny because I grew up six blocks from you. You went to Science High, I went to Hillside High, but we grew up six blocks from each other. That's correct. Uh, my town at the time was about 50-50 black-white. When we moved in, it was predominantly white. So the schools were white-oriented. You grew up in inner city in Newark. It was all black. I didn't have... Um, I ended up going to Howard University literally on a fluke. I had no idea what college was going to be like. All I knew was that I wanted to go to college. I didn't know... I didn't even know HBCUs existed or at the time predominantly black. We referred to them as predominantly black colleges. I didn't even know they existed. And um, I remember my sister talking about going to Howard. And I remember she had told my cousin that she was thinking about going to Howard. And he was like, oh, wow. He was impressed. So I was like, oh, that must be a good school. And then she ended up going to a local college, Kane College. Uh, for a semester or two. And then I ended up two years later, I said, well, let me look into this Howard University. And I remember after I took my SATs, all the, the literature was coming in. You know how the literature starts coming in after you put your name on that list. And I got a um, this brochure from American University. And I was like, oh, American University, that's in Washington, D.C. And I was really excited because I was thinking, okay, how far away can I go where I'm not too far away from home, but I'm not close enough where, this is this was my logic. I'm not too close where my parents can just come and visit what I'm calling. <laughs> so my whole mindset was Washington, D.C. is a great place to go to college. So I was like, I was going to American University. I didn't know what the requirements were. I didn't know what I wanted to major in. I didn't know anything, but I, they sent me this recruitment letter. So just so happened in a small window of about two years, we had one black guidance counselor and I was assigned to that guidance counselor Mm. and his name was Mr. Bird. And I remember him looking at me and saying, you need to pick three colleges. Have you ever thought about going to a black college? And I was like, they have those? <laughs> no, I feel so naive about it now. <laughs> and then I said, yes. He said, the best one is Howard University. That would be your dream school. He said, that's located in Washington, D.C. I was like, oh, I want to go to Washington, D.C. I want to go to all black college. Oh, that sounds like me. And then he said, the second one was Morgan State. Uh, another one was Morgan State. And I was like, he was like, that's in Baltimore. And I was like, oh, that's in Maryland. That's right next to D.C. Yeah, I could go to Morgan. And then he said, he recommended another one. He said, Hampton University is also a good school. And that's in Virginia. I was like, oh, they're all right next to each other. So he said, um, Howard is the most competitive to get in. So you want to apply to that. Your grades are good enough. Your SAT score should get you in. Because I didn't really have great SAT scores. He said, but uh, go ahead and apply to all three. So I applied to all three of those schools at his recommendation. Got accepted to Howard. Wow. And that's how I ended up at Howard University. 
Wow. Well, you know, times have really changed. You know, they have. You know, we we both come from working class families, mm-hmm. so that pedigree or that knowledge of the whole college experience, like what we provided for our children, was just not there. It you wasn't. know, we did college wasn't. tours. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 went to the schools with them. We reviewed applications with them. Mm-hmm. You know. Totally different experience. No, you did. I, I didn't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> you did. I couldn't. I couldn't. I didn't have the well, patience. You, you attended the college fairs. Oh yeah, the college yeah, fairs definitely. Yeah, yeah, we, but let me just talk about my experience when I started telling people that I was going to go to an HBCU. I got so much resistance. As far as I know, in my class of two hundred and fifty-six students that graduated, about half of them were African-American. About 60%, 55, 60% were African-American. As far as I know, of those who went to college, I was the only one that attended an HBCU. I don't know of anybody who attended an HBCU. Most of them went to Rutgers, Kane College, state, local, in, 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 in the area. And that was, so that was unusual for me. So when I started talking about where I was going, once we got, you know, the acceptance letters start coming in, you start sharing, I didn't get a response that I anticipated. It wasn't like when my sister told my cousin, you know, she was going to Howard. Most of it was like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, so I was kind of like, hmm. And then I started getting pushback. Like some of my relatives um, started saying stuff like, well, I heard how it was a party school. And at the time I didn't know it, but I had a, a cousin that was attending Howard's dental school. So my mom, my mother connected, we connected me with, with her uncle and, and his daughter was attending and she had attended Spelman and I didn't even know about Spelman at the time. So we connected and he made some calls and I actually got me in, into the freshman dorm because my housing was being delayed. But some of the things that I heard of when I was attending and, and, and some of the pushback and just kind of what I remember is they said things like, well, I want more diversity. So I'm not going to a black school because the world is, is not black. The world is predominantly white. You, you don't learn how to integrate with other people. That was one of the things that was said. Another one was, I can get a better job if I go to a PWI. <sighs> Let's talk about all of these things. Another one was better networking opportunities. Because white people, I can network with white people if I go to graduate. I have better connections. And then <laughs> the one that's the most ridiculous is, and you can tell I have some salty feelings about this, <laughs> is, well, a GPA of 2.5 at a PWI is the same as a 4.0 at, a, at an HBCU which is the absolute <laughs> most ridiculous thing that now, are, are these things you were hearing as you were attending or these things you were hearing after you graduated these were things that I heard throughout up until um, I would say beginning and then during my attendance mm. but then afterwards um, HBCUs, HBCUs started becoming more popular and then we had more famous people and more influential people that acknowledge their graduation from from well, HBCU. Popular so. probably is relative because 
I know different world in the mid eighties. Oh yes, that was the that was had the thing. A big impact on heavy the television show, the Cosby spinoff. Right, right. Spin- you're absolutely right. Now, now, prior to that, as you noted earlier, and when you're talking, when you're reading an article, segregation was still legal up until 1964. That's right. So prior to 1964, HBCUs were but predominantly the only opportunities we had. To go to college, you're right. So from 64 to the 70s, after the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act movement, movement, things started opening up. That's true. And we had more opportunities. You talked about the experience you had with your guidance counselor in the town you lived in. There was one black guidance counselor. That's, That's a significant point. To this whole discussion, I mm-hmm. think because without him and your other students in your graduating class, probably didn't have the same experience with the guidance counselor you had. Yeah, that's a good point. So there's a level of unawareness and, you know, I don't want to say ignorance, but not being aware of what HBCUs are. Because I didn't know. And... As you also talked about your second cousin, you know, with your dear uncle, had a different experience. Mm-hmm. He traveled in different circles. He did. He did. You know, so Lynx and Jack and Jill's. Mm-hmm. And the more you have, closer Sorry. you have, mm-hmm. the more resources you you have at your at your fingertips. Yes. So I, I think that's the big difference. You know, I came from a very working class family. I can't even say middle class. You know, we were working, definitely working class. And my parents, you know, I'm a single parent, didn't travel in those circles. So I had what was available to me, mm-hmm. what was offered at the high school, just so happened to be HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Town you grew up in was a lot of blacks migrated to as they were moving out of the inner city to a more suburban setting. But if you're still working with working class parents and some of those things you're not just going to touch on. That's true. You know, so it's an evolution as each generation evolves and more information provided. As we got older and we came of ourselves, of our own, we came into our own in the mid 80s. Now there is this whole movement of black professionals. The Buppies. The yeah. Buppies. <laughs> Black Earth Now this discussion is really coming down to HBCU versus w- PWI. Yeah. And a lot of ignorance was discussed during that time period. I'm so happy we moved away from that. Yeah, with some of us, most of us. You know, because we know the success stories of graduates from HBCUs. Yeah. And even in today... The nurturing that it provides us. We really understand it now. Right, right. You know, we don't have to put up with stuff. Right. You know, at I was at a state college, so I can't really say my experience would have been anything like a, a, a black student attending a private PWI where it's um, very competitive to get in. Where you get in your questions, you know, like our son had to deal with attending the Naval Academy, uh, you a quota, or you only got here because you play sports. You know, so I didn't have to deal with that kind of stuff because I attended a state college. You know, if you have decent grades and decent, you're going to get into. You know, it's not as competitive. It's com- It was competitive because it was one of the decent qualifying state universities. But you, I didn't get that kind of pushback. 
Right. Now, assumptions are being made as far as what my intellect or my learning ability was, which some of it was true. I was a good math student, but as far as reading and writing, I had to take remedial classes to get me to a college level. So, and the program I attended was called Educational Opportunity Fund, which afforded those remedial classes to get you to the level you needed to do before you could take college-level courses. So there were some built-in support systems, and that's a whole nother topic of pushback and what took place to create the Educational Opportunity Fund, which came about in 1970. You know, it was a whole revolt in the state of New Jersey behind all of that, and creating that program to open up doors for blacks to attend college. And, well, let me, but that's a little off the subject. Well, let, let me interject here because I had to attend remedial math classes when I went to Howard University and I got the so, so-called majority white education. So, so you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. It, you know, and I consider myself to be success, successful, educationally successful, but you know, I had to take the remedial classes. So what is that? And you went to the all black school, had to take remedial classes. I went to the majority went white to, school. I went to a magnet high school as well. A magnet high school. And then I I went to the remedial, but you were math and science. It was my math and science focused. Yeah. So you were okay in that area. Mm-hmm. And then I went to majority white school in, in, in grammar and elementary and ended up having to take remedial math classes. So it's six in one hand, half dozen in the other. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that that's reflective of anything. Um, well, it's or a reflected of our environment, environment we come from. Mm-hmm. You know, exposure and resources factor into all of that because you're, you're selected to take remedial classes based on how you test it in the entry exam. Right. And just like SATs can be deemed biased based on what have you, there's bias built in a lot of testing based on your environment. Mm-hmm. You know, so that had a lot to do with it as well vocabulary level, etc. Well, I want to debunk some of the myths that I encountered, which is probably not the same now because I think we've proven it. But there are some still some people. I think when we were um, raising our children, our, our, our philosophy was, okay, if you get a scholarship, 100% scholarship, full ride, then you go to wherever that college is that you like, that you want to fit in, be it majority or HBCU. If you don't get a scholarship and we end up having to pay for it, then you're going to go to an HBCU. That was pretty much our thing. So what happened was the oldest one ended up getting a full-ride scholarship to the Naval Academy. So, of course, that was, you know, super huge and opportunity. So he went there, and then our oldest daughter, number two, child number two, ended up going to Spelman, but she got the presidential scholarship. She got a full ride there. So then the only, the and then daughter number three, daughter she got, daughter number two of child Third number child, three, yeah. she got accepted to Hampton with a partial scholarship, and then she got accepted to Kennesaw State, which is here in Georgia. And SCAD. And SCAD, right. Mm-hmm. But SCAD wasn't giving up any money. Kennesaw, yeah, yeah, but their $40,000 tuition yeah, plus yeah. housing. Mm-hmm. And then Kennesaw, she would get the state, um, she qualified, I think, for, did she qualify for the state? 
scholarship? I, I don't think she qualified for the state scholarship. But anyway, dollar for dollar, it was about the same. Mm-hmm. But we would have to come out of pocket a little bit more for her to go to Hampton University, HBCU. So as a family, because my mom, she decided she was going to help us. So as a family, we said, you're going to go to the HBCU. And boy, am I so glad that she did. And, and and one of the reasons why, and I want to talk about the myths of, of HBCU versus the PWI and how all three of them, how their experiences turned out. And one of the things I want to say is when it came to diversity, what happened to you? Did you develop relationships that, let's combine them, <laughs> the, the relationship and then the relate. We'll handle those three myths. More diversity, I can get a better job, and networking opportunities. What was your personal experience? Tune in next week as we finish this lively discussion on HBCUs versus PWIs. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Black Family Table Talk. We pray that you heard some principles to put into your strong black family toolbox. Be sure to tune in next week and remember, sharing is caring. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and visit our website at blackfamilytabletalk.com. Look for special discounts and ways to be part of the Black Family Table Talk community. Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowances made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comments, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that may otherwise be infringing. The news and opinions expressed on Black Family Table Talk do not necessarily reflect various platform posts. All topics are for entertainment purposes only. Discretion is strongly advised and all commentary is alleged. This is a Micah 68 Media LLC production.